So here we are in 1 Corinthians. It is Las Vegas of biblical times. It is uh, a pretty messed up uh, city, if you will. It's got a couple of ports in it and uh, a lot of uh, commerce, a lot of traffic would go through that. And as you might be able to imagine, when you've got You've got money, you've got commerce, you've got everything else that builds up when that's going on. That can get pretty wicked. And that's, that's kind, of, kind of the way it was. It was sort of a, a, the sin city, if you will, of the Roman Empire. Now, you can imagine, although you don't want to imagine it too much, but you can imagine what, what all's going on in that city. And it's in that city that Paul decides to plant a church. Now, it's interesting because we all want to plant a church in Hawaii, right? But we're, I, I believe Calvary Central is where we're needed. We're needed right here in town. And uh, they were needed in that town. You know, when you have that kind of corruption, you have that kind of stuff going on, you have people that need Jesus, on the way into church this morning because of the way things are financially um, in the world, you can see more people at the side of the street. You can see more um, stuff going on. And on one hand, you can say, well, I don't want to be down there because that's... But that's where we're needed, guys. We're needed where people are hurting. We're needed where people are going through tough things and need to be encouraged on uh, a regular basis. And so was the case here in Corinth. Um, You can call it Corinth if you want. I did for years, but I think it's pronounced Corinth. But either way, um, there's about uh, 750,000 people in the city at the time of this writing. And that consisted of about 500,000 slaves out of that 750,000 and about 250 uh, citizens. Now, it also housed pagan temples. So there was quite a few pagan temples. And um, they were dedicated to the goddess Aphrodite. Or the Roman name was Venus. You know, I'm your Venus. You guys remember that old song. Well, this thing is uh, nothing more than uh, a cloak for prostitution. Somehow, they had twisted it to the point to where this prostitution was a sacrifice to uh, Venus. Now, that, that's how weird your mind can get when you leave it up to God. I mean, leave it up to yourself and not to God and try to rationalize everything that you can possibly rationalize. And here's what happens with us because we are sinners, because we are human beings, and that is we can rationalize almost anything. We can convince ourselves that this is okay, or that's okay, or just this once, or, or maybe just two times, or maybe just this, and we can slowly go down that hill to where we're at a place to where it's uh, just outright slapping God in the face, if you will. It's just an outright wrong thing and a wrong way to live our lives. Now, There were over a thousand priestesses in those pagan temples. And again, most of them were just prostitutes for the sake of Aphrodite.
excuse me. So if you will, almost, you can't say the whole city, but a biggest majority of the city was just dedicated to sinful pleasure. They had come up with a, a phrase. They had coined a phrase called uh, to Corinthianize or to play the Corinthian. And basically, if anybody said that at that particular time, they knew exactly what it was. I guess you could almost, you know, whatever takes place in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. It's one of those kind of terms where you knew what was going on. And if anybody said they were playing the Corinthian, then you knew exactly what was going on in that person's life. So, you might imagine how difficult that is. Trying to share Jesus Christ with a group of folks that don't want him. They don't want Jesus to come in and change their lives. And you might say, well, who wouldn't want Jesus to come in and change our lives? Almost every human being on the planet at one time or another. And sometimes even those of us who call ourselves Christians, we let him in the front door, but not into the back rooms. By that I mean we let him in. We say, yeah, I want Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but but I don't want him to interfere with this thing. Or I don't want him to take that thing. Or I don't want him to take this one or I don't want him to take that one. So I, I, want, I want him, but I want to retain these other things. That's the church. And as he begins the church, people are getting saved. In fact, scripture will tell us that they lacked no gift. But they also brought a lot of baggage in with them. Now that's okay when you first become a Christian. That's pretty normal. When we first give our heart to Jesus, we're gonna bring some baggage in with us. We're a new creature in Jesus and we're changing, we're evolving, we're, we're becoming what God would want us to be. But after a time, it's time to, it's like the baby, you know, you can give him milk for a certain amount of time, but pretty soon he's gonna get teeth and he's gonna to wanna to be able to eat. You know, they're gonna to wanna to have some solid food. And so the church was fighting some of these things. Sin was kind of rampant amongst those new believers. And so Paul's been writing, or he's writing this letter to correct some of those things. He's been getting some reports saying, you know, there's some stuff going on here in the church, and it's causing some trouble. There's some division that's happening, and we need to be able to address it and to fix it. Today, we kind of avoid that stuff, don't we? We kind of just overlook it. And what I'm trying to say is that we as Christians need to lovingly encourage each other, not so much judge each other, not so much put each other down, not so much hurt each other with what we say or talking behind someone's back, but we need to lovingly go to that individual and just say, I'm concerned about you, you know, I love you. And, uh, and I'm concerned. Not after we've told five other people about what's going on, but first, you know, go to them out of love and say, I see this going on. Paul wrote three letters. The first one's been lost. So we have no, uh, we have no record of that. So what we are going to be reading as first and second Corinthians technically is second and third Corinthians. So pray with me and we will begin. Father, we are sinners saved by your grace and by your mercy. 
there's not a perfect individual in this room except for you. So Father, we know that we're gonna make mistakes. We know that if we let our guard down, the enemy's gonna try to get in in any way that he can. And Father, I believe that's why we have these books. That's why we have these letters is to remind us, to help us maybe see a a place that we've let things go or, or we just kind of doing things that possibly we shouldn't do. So as we go through this chapter and in the entire book of first, well, two books of first and second Corinthians, may we know and understand Paul is calling for unity. And not just for the sake of unity, but to be one in Jesus Christ. To be concerned about what he wants, what he desires. Not necessarily what we want or we desire, because it might not be the same thing. But that, Father, we are willing to adapt, to change, to be the individual that you want us to be. Because, Father, we know that being in the center of your will is the happiest, it's going to be the most joyful place we could ever possibly be. So as we read this, Father, even though it was a long time ago into another church in another place, let us extract from that the things that might apply to us. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who are in every place, and they call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you love Paul's introductions? I mean, he's got those grace and peace, those little twins that he always has in his introductions. But it's done with such love and and concern as he does those introductions. And he always puts Jesus Christ right in the middle of that. You know, that's what we share. That's our common denominator. We come from all walks of life, probably all kinds of different socioeconomic levels, but the one thing that we have in common, and that's Jesus Christ. That brings us together. That's the unity that we have. If you look around, maybe even at the person sitting next to you, and if it's a stranger, don't look at them too long. But my point is this. You may look at them and go, if, if it wasn't for Jesus, I, I probably would have nothing to do with this individual. I might not have anything in common with them. But when you have Jesus in common, there's a love, there's a bond that takes place. It doesn't matter where they're from. It doesn't matter how much money they have. It doesn't matter which side of the street that they're on. It doesn't matter what race they are. There's a bond in Jesus Christ that unites us. He says in verse four, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you come short in no gift. They came short in no gift. God had blessed them so much. Eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ who will also confirm you 
to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you guys, but we know we're not blameless, right? We know we're not. That's a love that many of us have never known in our life. That kind of love that looks at you, sees all the blemishes, and says, I love you anyway. And my love for you will never change. You can't disappoint me because I'm God. I know how you were formed. I know everything you're going to do and say. So you can't disappoint me. And I still love you. And I will always love you. Man, that's that's a kind of love that's not exhibited much in humanity. Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, this. We have a tendency as human beings to want to get close to people we don't know. What do I mean by that? Well, we see someone and we see some characteristics in them that we admire. And so we want to get to know them. And so we, they let us inside their circle, right? And, and we get up close. And we see that they have a scar and a pimple and a crooked nose and that they are not perfect. And so the human thing to do is We're all about it at first, but then when we get too close, we start finding out they're just a human being like we are, and it scares us, and we back off. Jesus pulls closer to us. It is for those things, it is for those imperfections that he loves us. That's why we need him in our life. So that love is something that's just almost inconceivable. I almost went into Princess Bride right there with that inconceivable but he loves us so much guys that's the thing that I want to get across now he says let's look at verse 9 again God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ our Lord now I plead with you brethren by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing and that there are no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. You all speak the same things. That kind of sounds like a bunch of robots, doesn't it? But that's not what he means. He means that we absorb enough of his word that the things that we say are outlined by his word. They're governed by his word. We want our temperament. We want our uh, personality We want who we are to be transformed. Many of us don't want to talk to each other in church like maybe we talk on uh, Friday at, at the job site. We want to be different. We want to be different people. So that's what we, that's why he came into our lives is to help us rearrange some of those things and change some of those things. And if we're not changing some of those things, we have to wonder, why not? Am am I just not sitting close to the Lord? Do I only want him at certain times in my life or do I just want him in the front door but I don't want him to touch any of of the other things in my life? So, a few brief notes on this first part. Paul says he's an apostle by the will of God. You know, I'm convinced that whatever you do, knowing that you are called to that by the will of God is what brings us peace. Doesn't matter if you're a carpenter, 
doesn't matter if you're a butcher. It doesn't matter if you're a, a board member. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor. It doesn't matter if you work at a grocery store. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. It's just knowing that I've been called to this by the will of God. Paul knew that God had called him to do this. He didn't just one day say, hey, I want to be an apostle. In fact, he was running in the other direction, right? An enemy of the church, persecuting, killing Christians, dragging them off, putting them in jail. He was going the opposite direction and God halted his life and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't even know who he was. He thought he was on a mission from God, but the reality of it was, the reality of it was he was working against God the whole time. Paul, why are you doing this? So I hope that whatever it is that you are doing, you're doing it by the will of God. Now you might say, well, I don't feel that way. I just go to work because I have to. But that's not the point. The point is maybe God's called you there at that time for this season. It may not stay that way forever. But what we've got to be worried about is trying to elevate ourselves, to put ourselves in something that he's not in. And sometimes it's not even a matter of fact of him not wanting you to do the other thing. It's just a matter of timing. And God's timing is definitely not our timing. He does things out of perfection. We do them out of will. We do them out of excitement. We do them out of a lot of other motivation. Paul was one of the greatest enemies of the church. Have you ever run across somebody or maybe somebody in your family and you go, this will be the last person on earth to get saved? <laughs> I mean, you just look at their life and you go, man, everything they do is against the will of God. Everything they do is against God. And then one day you find out they got saved. And you're like, how in the world did that happen? You might have been teaching them. You might have been preaching to them. You might have been talking to them about Jesus for years and they didn't have anything to do with it. And one day somebody shows up at work and says, hey, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Well, no. Do you want to pray? Yeah, I'll pray. You're going, what? What, does, what just took place? There's going to be a lot of people in heaven that you and I may be surprised when they show up. But I love that about God. The world looks at us and goes, that's a loser. That person is never going to amount to anything. And God says, oh, yes, he is. Oh, yes, he is. He's mine. So you guys remember, Paul's on the road to Damascus. Bright light shines. He goes blind for a certain amount of time. And he ends up coming to know the Lord. By the way, I want to tell you this because it's a danger. And that is there are some pastors out there and some churches and some seminaries teaching that the Apostle Paul is not a real apostle. You you need to know that. That's some of the heresies that are coming out of the higher schools of higher education is that Paul's not an apostle. Well, he tells you right here, he is, okay? And what makes it believable to me is he was the great persecutor of the church. Something changed in his life. God worked in this man's life and he's saying, I'm an apostle by the will of God. Okay. Now the church is lacking nothing but 
so that means that they have all of these gifts that God's bestowed upon them, but they're out of whack, right? They're not using them properly. They're using them to justify sin. They're using them to hurt each other. They're using them to backbite and to, and to hurt. So Paul's saying, we have one God, and that's Jesus Christ. There shouldn't be so much division if all we want is God's will in our life. There's so much in Scripture that organizes and relates to that and keeps that in a, in a solid, clear line, and that's to love each other. That's to defer our own opinion sometimes to someone else and respect them, to love them and care for them. All of those things. So Paul's saying, guys, read your Bibles again (laughs) and, and do your best to try to do what God is calling you to do. It's important to know that Christian unity is not uniformity. We don't have to all think the same way. We don't have to all believe in things that are not important. We don't have to all believe the same way. The world has gotten to the place now that if you don't believe like another person, you're an idiot. You can't even express a difference of opinion. There used to be a time when you could and you could sit down and say, well, let's agree to disagree. Shake hands, give each other a hug and go on your way. And it didn't, it didn't interfere with that. But now you can't do that. Let's not let that. I I pray to God that that does not come into the church. We should not let that come into the church. We should be able to, not on the things of God's word. Please, Please understand, I'm not saying rewriting this. But what I'm saying is there's a whole lot of things that we might disagree on, but that's okay. It's It's all right. And we need to give each other the space in love for people to be able to disagree. But agree on the things that matter the most so that we don't get sidetracked and divided on the things that are non-essentials. I want to give you something. You might have heard this before, but there was a man walking along the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge. And we saw a woman who was about to jump off. He ran up to her trying to dissuade her from committing suicide. And he told her that God loved her. And a tear came to her eye. And he asked her, he says, are you a Christian or a Jew or Hindu or what? And she says, I'm a Christian. And he said, me too. Small world. Protestant or Catholic? She said, Protestant. It's me too. What denomination? Baptist. Me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? I'm Northern Baptist. He goes, man, I can't believe this. Me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? She answered, Northern Conservative Baptist. He goes, man, I can't believe this. This is just amazing. Northern Conservative Fundamental Baptist or Northern Conservative Reform Baptist? And she says, Northern Conservative Fundamental Baptist. And he goes, this is amazing. He goes, Northern Conservative Fundamental Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Fundamental Baptist Eastern Region? And she told him, Northern Conservative Fundamental Baptist Great Lakes Region. He goes, it's a miracle. (laughs) 
He goes, Northern Conservative Fundamental Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Regional Council of 1912. She said, Northern Conservative Fundamental Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And he said, die, heretic. And he pushed her off the bridge. One little difference. One little difference. As long as we agree, we agree on the most important things. Jesus Christ, crucified, rose the third day for our sins. That makes us brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we're all on a journey, right? Aren't we all growing? Aren't we all learning? I mean, as many years as I've been a Christian, I'll go back and I'll be studying for a a chapter or whatever and I'll see something that I never saw before. That's the beauty of God's word. No matter how deep you go, there's still more in there. All right, look at verse 11, please. He says, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius. And then he begins to think, and he thinks there may be a couple more. He goes, at least anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Baptizing in your own name does no good at all, right? We're not the Christ. We're not Jesus. We don't have that power. We don't have that authority. We can baptize, but we baptize in the name of the Father and the Son uh, and the Holy Spirit, right? That's the word. That's the, the name, the authority by which we baptize, And then he says, verse 16, he says, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. And then he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made to no effect. What does he mean by that? Not with wisdom of words. Today, there is also... um, In the early church, they call them Gnostics. Gnostic is the Greek word where we get gnosis or knowledge from. So there are still the the Gnostics among us. Those who are more interested in the intellectual debate than they are Christianity. And they can get so caught up in that side of it that they start deciding they're smart enough to tell you which books are really got from God, which ones aren't, which ones are real apostles and which ones aren't. Those are coming from some of the highest learning institutions, seminaries. That's how smart people have gotten, that they can now dissect the word of God. But here's the point. Not with wise words. That's why all the preaching maybe that we've done to someone in their family or someone at work hasn't worked. And somebody else comes in and just say, hey, have you accepted Jesus? Well, no. Do you want to? Yeah. 
prays with them and they accept Jesus Christ. Because it's not, it's not with the multitude of words, it's, it's with the power of God's Holy Spirit that that work is done. And he can do that in any one of us. We might say, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say to people. That's okay. That's okay. As long as you know that Jesus loves them, as long as you know that Jesus died for their sin, and as long as you know how to pray, to, pray with him to accept Jesus Christ, you are an evangelist, or you can be an, an evangelist, evangelist if you step out in faith in that area. Okay, so we don't know much about Chloe, but... You have to admire the fact that she had enough backbone to not only stand up to the truth, but to let her name be mentioned. I want you to think about that a little bit. The internet has provided us a way to say whatever you want and nobody really knows you. There's a lot of armchair critics on the internet that will say horrible things because there's no repercussion. Nobody can slap them in the face or knock them out. You know, they can say whatever they want. They play the big dog, but they're, but they're not really. And it's easy to complain when we're out with our friends. It's easy to backbite. It's easy to talk about this or about that, but we don't want our name mentioned. In fact, it's like, don't, don't, don't say I said this. Don't, you know. And haven't we all done that? I'm not picking on anyone. Haven't we all done that at one time in our life? Probably so. But Chloe's name is attached here. So not only the accusation, but she saw this division and she wanted to do something about it. And I think that that we need to be careful with that too. If someone comes to us with something that's divisionary, we should either walk away or just say, you know, I don't think we should be, I don't think we should be doing this. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. You're not putting the other person down. You're just saying, I don't think I want to be a part of this. But our human nature is such, we want to join in on it. Well, yeah, yes, yes, I can confirm. And then pretty soon you got someone saying, well, it's not just me that feels this way. It's five or six or seven or eight other people. And uh, that's how you know, division starts in the church. We have to be careful about that kind of stuff. And we have to look at those situations and the, the one thing that we may be complaining about or upset about, we gotta ask ourselves, what am I doing to change it? If it bothers me that much, why am I not available? Why am I not doing anything? How, what can I do to be able to maybe make that situation better? And then oftentimes you, you might say, well, why don't you do it? And they're going, no, 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 I don't, I don't want it. I'm too busy, I'm too this, I'm too that. But I want you to. I want, I want you to fix it. So she saw something and she's saying, I think we need to take care of this in this young church. Otherwise, it's going to fracture and it's not going to stand a chance. Now, we do this a little bit as Christians when we pick out our favorite people, our favorite teachers, right? Now, I don't, please understand, I'm not saying that it's wrong to have someone that you like or a, a couple teachers or two or three teachers that you like and you enjoy listening to them. That's not a bad thing. The bad thing is when we start choosing and making people know that we like them better than we like this person. That's divisionary. 
That's divisionary. And you guys have heard me say many, many times with myself and Pastor Dan, we're in this together. You know, we're, we're, we've joined forces to preach the gospel to, in the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm not his competition. He's not my competition. We both love each other, care about each other, and pray for each other. And uh, that's the way that it should be. So we just, we just need to be careful in those kind of things. Even when it comes to worship. Well, I like this person's worship better. I like that person's worship better. I, agree, I understand that. I think that every single one of us probably feels the same way. We just need to be careful with the way that we handle that. Okay? All right. It's not wrong to have favorites, not wrong to have preferences, but uh, it's okay for other people to feel differently and to have their favorites if they, if they wish to, as long as it's not, like I say, uh, divisionary. Uh, Paul reminds them that he and Apollos and Peter, they were all vessels. They were all just servants of the Lord and they were all on the same team. Now, I want you guys to just look around. We're all on the same team. We're all on the same team. That's team Jesus, right? We're on his team to further the gospel. And anything that we might do that hurts that gospel is not good. It's, it's not a good thing. We, we need to make sure that, that that word of God, that pure gospel remains as pure as it possibly can. Okay, Paul says at first that he's glad he didn't baptize them and then as he begins to think, he's going, well, maybe I did baptize this guy and this guy. So he, he calls a few of them in there. But basically, this whole thing is Paul saying, the way that you're acting right now, I'm kind of glad I didn't baptize more than one or two of you. So it's kind of like a parent dealing with a child that hasn't, uh, that's not doing what they need to do. He's doing this as loving, lovingly as he can, but he's saying these things need to change. This behavior needs to change. Look at verse 18, please. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We see that. Boy, don't we see that right now? Excuse me. Do you realize right now, if you're a conservative Christian, you are in the process of being labeled as a terrorist? Do you know that? If not, get out a little more. (laughs) Read a little more. But if you have conservative values, you're standing in the way of progress, and you are, I don't think it'll be real long before we are labeled as going against progress, we're going against everything, and that we are dangerous people. And dangerous people are often met with force. So here's the thing. To us that are being saved, it is the power of God. To people who are resisting it, to those who are perishing, ultimately those who are resisting God are going to perish. Satan knows he only has a limited amount of time and he's coming out full bore. And there are people that are going to perish without Jesus Christ. Because sometimes we're just too caught up in too many other things. And I I don't mean this being condemning, but me too. Sometimes we just get caught up in so many other things that we forget what our mission is here. 
while we're alive. Our, our mission isn't necessarily to gather and gather and gather and gather. It isn't necessarily comfort. But it's to tell people about Jesus Christ so that as many as possible get to go home and be with us to get to live in glory, to be able to live in an eternity with Jesus Christ. This is going to pass. We know, that's what the Bible says. And it's funny, it's almost as though the opposition, without even believing in this, are fulfilling it. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Okay, verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. So what he's saying here is that all of the trying to get smart never allowed them to know who God was. But finally humbling themselves and realizing they didn't have all the answers, that's the first step to bringing you to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. So, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Isn't that cool? Doesn't matter what side of town you're from, doesn't matter how much money you got, doesn't matter what uh, uh, race you are, none of it matters to God. He doesn't care. He's concerned about your salvation. He wants you in eternity with with him because he loves you. I don't know. I love that. I love that. All the barriers, all this junk that they're trying to throw back at us to get us to hate each other. God says, no. No. That's not what makes a man. That's not what makes a woman. That's not what makes a society. Not the hatred. It's the love that pulls us together in the unity of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 22, for Jews request a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Jesus Christ crucified. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, it's foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And of course, that's tongue-in-cheek because there is no foolishness in God and there is no weakness in God. But basically what he's saying is on a bad day, God's a whole lot smarter than all of us and a lot smarter than them. Melting pot of the world. They prided themselves on their open-mindedness. You know, you get too open-minded, your brains fall out. I want to read a couple things to you and I don't mean this political but it's going to sound that way what I want you to do is look at it in the lens of whether you, you think something is wisdom but it's actually dumb right that's the, that's the lens I want you to look through it from the office of the governor of California Governor Newsom announces California will phase out gasoline-powered cars and drastically reduce demand for fuel, uh, fossil fuel in California's fight against climate change. That's a quote straight from the California website. Also from the state of California, 
California's energy overseer warned of blackouts starting Wednesday and urged residents to avoid using large appliances and charging electric vehicles. Now, to turn off unnecessary lights, the state also wants those thermostats to go no uh, lower than 78 degrees. How do you put those two together? How do you put those two together? Now, that's, that's someone who thinks that this is, is wisdom, but in reality, it's ridiculous. The electric grid cannot hold all of the new electric vehicles and run air conditioners and run everything else. And it's not just California. It's most of our electrical grid systems are built the same way and run the same way. Now, if you take, what, a million electric vehicles and you start charging them, five million electric vehicles and you start charging them, guess what's going to happen? Not only California, but you're going to get it from Arizona, you're going to get it from Denver, you're going to get it from Colorado, you're going to get it from all the places going, we can't keep up. So... Turn your thermostats up to you're miserable. Don't drive that new $50,000 electric vehicle. By the way, have you seen how much it costs to replace a battery? As much as $25,000, $28,000 in some cars. So here's my point. I'm not trying to sway you one way or the other. I'm just saying that sometimes we can think this is such a great idea you know, this, this is an awesome idea when in reality it's a really bad idea. The only way you and I are going to know if something is a good idea is to ask God. We see throughout the Old Testament when uh, David would always go back to God. He made a lot of mistakes, but he would all go, always try to go back to God, except in a couple occasions. He would try to always go back to God and say, God, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to go into this battle or not? The exact opposite of Absalom, his son, who rebelled against him, he, he, didn't, he didn't go to God. He wouldn't ask God. The only way you and I are going to know if something is a good decision is when we get up off of our knees for the last time. Or what do I mean by that? We pray about it, we pray about it, and we pray about it, and we give God the opportunity to change our mind anytime he wants. And then after you've prayed it through, you get up and you do the best job that you could possibly do. God is so much wiser. If we, what do we expect? You push God out, if we push God out of everything, we've asked him not to be a part of our children's education. We've asked him to not be a part of our lives. We've asked him not to be a part of our government. We've asked him not to be a part of anything, our marriages. We've, asked, we've just said, God, stay away. And I honestly believe with all my heart we're seeing the result of that. Okay. In an effort to gain knowledge, if we miss Jesus, wouldn't that be kind of dumb? And gain all the knowledge in the world and then lose our souls because we, we just can't let Jesus have a place in our life. All right, let's go to verse 16. I'm going to have to close up here. Excuse me, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren. Now, this is going to take us down a notch. For you see your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise, according to the flesh. Not many mighty and not many noble are called. 
you catch that? Now, why would that be the case? Because usually when we're in that position, we're too puffed up to even listen to any other opinions. The I did it my way, guys. But look at what he says. But God has chosen what? The foolish things of this world. Us. (laughs) Us. God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Why? Because he's the one with the power. We don't have to be. I want to say this carefully. But we don't have to be the sharpest knife in the drawer. We don't have to be the most intelligent person in the room to get to heaven. That door is open for every single one of us. And sometimes in that pursuit of wisdom, it blocks us from seeing the simplicity that there is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The beauty that there is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 28, and the base things of this world and the things which are perishing, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. When we take glory away from God, that's a bad, bad thing. I want you to know, and I I was going to say this at the beginning of the teaching, if you're fairly new to Calvary Central, we don't clap for the worship team. We clap to God. That's, that's just, that's part of our sacrifice. That's part of our worship is giving God praise and honor and glory. And when you're touched by the Lord and, and you know, God's, God's doing a thing in your life, I think it's appropriate to be able to give God the glory. So I just want you to, you to know that. It's not in an effort to make the worship team feel better. It's to be able to express our love for the Lord so that no flesh should glory in his presence. Verse 30, but of him you are in Jesus, who became for us wisdom. He is our wisdom. And righteousness, he is our righteousness. And sanctification and redemption, he is our redemption. It is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So here's what Paul's doing. He's bringing it all down and saying, if you want to brag, brag about Jesus. Amen. If you want to talk about something that God's done amazing in your life, give Jesus the glory. Give God the credit for what's going on. Because let's face it, without Jesus Christ, where would we be? We'd be lost. Many of us may be on the streets. Because sometimes that difference between being okay and on the streets is that quick. So none of us are any better than anyone else. We're all just sinners saved by God's grace and mercy if you've given your life to God. So we've got nothing to brag about except for Jesus. If we're going to brag, we can talk about him saving a wretch like us. And I, I, I hope you don't go away feeling beat up because that's, this is not meant to, to make you feel beat up. 
But what I'm saying is that we can think too much of ourselves. Paul's saying they're thinking too much of themselves and they're arguing about everything and they're actually destroying the work of God that God's trying to do. And he says, guys, remember who you are without Jesus. It is through Jesus Christ. So, in this short teaching, he's taken the focus off of themselves and he's put it back on Jesus Christ. He's telling them that self-pity, the self-absorption, the self-promotion will always cause division of some sort because it will take our focus off of Jesus Christ. And some of us have that poor me thing going on. Poor me, I've had a tough this. Poor me, I've had a tough that. Poor me, I was raised over here. Poor me, I, we had no money or poor. You know, okay, okay. You look around this room, you're probably gonna find about 80% of the people who can say the same thing. But now it's time to get up and do something. It's time to be what God called us to be. And that's what he's telling them. Later on in Corinthians in uh, chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, he says this, for I fear, at least when I come, I shall not find you as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. At least there be contentions and jealousies and outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbiting, whispering, conceits, tumults. And then in verse three, he says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive the solid food. Even now you're still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there is envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul, and the other one says, I'm of Apollos, aren't you carnal? So, even them picking out who they liked was drawing attention to themselves. You know, I like Paul. Paul's this, Paul's this, Paul's this. And the really smart people will like Paul too. Isn't that kind of what we're hearing today? That if you're really smart, you're gonna pick my, you're gonna pick my choice? If you're just dumb, if you're, if you're those conservatives, then you're not smart enough to grasp these concepts. So if you're smart, you'll accept who I am. And then in James 4, 6, it says, but he gives us more grace. Therefore, he said, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, folks, I have no one in mind in this church, in this teaching, except for maybe me. My point is that Paul is addressing a church that has tremendous potential. He's blessed them so much, but they're getting diverted on things that just aren't important anymore. And that's hurting the work of God. So may we never do that. May we never get to that place where we're hurting the work of God over some personal thing. And remember, Scripture says if we have something against a brother, we go to them one-on-one. We go to them. Not after we've talked to everybody else. We go to them. And we talk to them. 